Greyhound 16 to trap one. We found something. Basement corridor, north side, grid 36. Request backup, over. Welcome to the Trap One Podcast. This week it's all about Infamy of the Zaros, the 10th Doctor Big Finish story out today on vinyl. My co-host is Denise Sutton. Welcome back, Denise. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me back again. No problem. Uh, so we're going to talk about the uh, this 10th Doctor story. First of all, we've got Doctor Who on Twitch at the moment, where the, the classic series is going through from William Hartnell to Sylvester McCoy. Have you caught any of this or have you been looking into it at all? I've only caught um, the buzz on it on Twitter and it sounds amazingly exciting that uh, people who are so very young are watching the old series and getting into it and enjoying the characters and having fun with it and it's making me really, really happy and I think it means that the show is becoming... It's, it's just living on, generation after generation, picking it up and seeing the quality of the show. I mean, I, I think it's brilliant. makes me very happy. Yeah. And it's also um, with the new, uh, much younger squad in uh, Doctor, Who, Doctor Who magazine as well. Um, ah, with the time team, yeah. Yes, yeah. So it's... Uh, Sounds like we were right, you know, people thought we were geeks, people thought we were nerds, but now, you know, these (laughs) millennials who have seen all the fabulous entertainment and series that the 21st century has to offer, they're still finding something to like and something of interest in this series, which is over 50 years old. Makes me very happy. Yeah, I I downloaded the, the Twitch app onto my phone. Um, started watching it with the unearthly child and everything. I was a bit curmudgeonly at first. I turned the messages off. I thought it's far too distracting. Um, it's taken away from the from watching Doctor Who. But then I kind of saw it through Twitter as well. The um, the kind of the comments on there and the sort of screenshots and things. And I thought, oh no, actually, this is a really lovely thing that um, you know people are getting really into it. There's a lot of kind of like you know as older fans have always done, like a really affectionate sort of um, taking the Mickey a little bit as well. Oh yes, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there's always room for that, yeah. and um, but at the same time, it's of the characters, the way they were written, of the time. It's not because it's bad or slow pacing. I mean, yes, some of the effects might seem a bit bizarre, but the stories carry through, and the well written characters and dialogue. Definitely, yeah. It's good to see all the um, the appreciation of the the old doctors, but as well as Ian and Barbara and Jamie and, and everyone like that, yeah, definitely. Yes, yeah, I mean, the love for um, Barbara and Ian, it's really great to see. Yeah, um, now that they're on to the, um, this week they're on to the third Doctor series, um, quite a funny thing that I saw where the, the sort of the automatic moderation on the, the message board I wouldn't let anybody post the name Terence Dix. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, you feel like uh, everyone who's trying to sort of um, give him some credit there, they're, uh, yeah, not allowed to uh, to post his name. Have to start calling him Terry D. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So um, we've both been listening to Infamy of the Zaros. This is from the second volume of 10th Doctor Big Finish Adventures. Uh, this one... First volume reunited David Tennant with um, Donna, played by Catherine Tate. Um, this second volume had Billy Piper as Rose Tyler back. Um, and it's out on a very limited edition vinyl through HMV today. And I think they picked this one from the box set because you've also got Camille Kujuri back as Jackie. Yes, it was lovely to hear her again, wasn't it? She's uh, slipped very naturally back into the role. Yeah, definitely. So it, it makes it feel even more authentic, I think, to the era. And uh, yeah, she's she's done a bit, quite a bit of big finish work, I think, and and um, audio books as well for uh, some of the Doctor Who novels. I know she does a bit of that. I think she did ooh, either Rose or The Christmas Invasion. I think it's The Christmas Invasion from the recent Target novelizations as well. Oh, I can just imagine that in her voice. That must be great. Yeah, um, I know Keith's heard that. Uh, we, we're doing the uh, Christmas Invasion Target book podcast on that uh, in a couple of weeks. But yeah, so I think she's never left the character behind that much. She has re- revisited it 
a few times. Um, but yeah, it's um, it feels it sounds great getting David Tennant, Billy Piper, and, and her back together for this one. And we kind of enter the story through her point of view as well. Yes, yeah, she turns up in Norwich, and I'm sort of waiting for the Alan Partridge reference, but then yeah. one never <laughs> arrived unless I missed it. No, I thought that as well, but I, I didn't think there was one. Um, no. yeah, she's visiting her old school friend, uh, Marge. I did wonder if it was in Norwich kind of to explain Mickey's absence, because yeah, had it been on the Powell estate, um, you'd have, you would have expected Mickey to be in it as well. Yes, and also I think they mentioned something about, uh, oh, they're not going to do too well with that kind of attitude if they try and invade London, you know, yeah. so they did have to pick a place where uh, more sparsely populated and um, people who are less used to <laughs> yeah. standing up for themselves, possibly. And it was like like the old series then as well, wasn't it? The, the sort of the alien invasions of the 70s. And then it was, mm. um, they pick a, you know, a village or somewhere sparsely populated. Um, so, yeah, that was, uh, that was yeah, made it feel like a, a little callback to, to the 70s as well. Yes, and so the character of Jess, the, the teenage girl, the daughter, she's a little bit more naive than perhaps a London lass would be. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, she's uh, Marge's daughter. So, yeah, I thought Marge was a good character. She's... Um, <laughs> she's a bit like Jackie, but but not as kind of warm, isn't she? She's uh, yeah, she's a bit more like Jackie in the alternative reality, where yeah. um, where you know she's been very successful and she's she's a little bit up herself, as they say. You know, yeah. when she has a go at uh, Rose for daring to comment on her marriage. Yeah, yeah, so, I didn't thought about that actually. Yeah, that's um, that's a good shout. It is. It, yeah, it's like Jackie in the. The uh, the other universe from uh, Rise of the Cybermen. Yes. I think, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So she's even as soon as she meets Jackie or welcomes Jackie, uh, she starts kind of making little digs, doesn't she, about Rose and and all the rest of it. And she's got another daughter um, who's at university. Who Cambridge? Uh, yeah. So yeah, Cambridge uh, University. So she's constantly praising her while putting her other daughter Jess down. Um, yes. Because uh, Jess spends all the time practicing to be like on the X Factor or uh, some kind of equivalent talent show. Uh, yes, I mean I, I did. Uh, I think everybody's parent does that to them sometimes, but uh, it did seem a bit relentless yeah. for this poor lass. And it, it feeds into the theme of the episode a bit as well that um, that Jess wants to be kind of a reality TV star um, with uh, with what happens next. Yeah, it really does um, put it will put her off going anywhere near a TV camera for the rest of her life. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Jackie's only been in Norwich for about five minutes when aliens invade. Mm. <laughs> Don't you just hate it yeah. when that happens? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so she, uh, I thought it was really nice the way, um, like a really fast-paced way of getting the Doctor and Rose in, um, like you would have got in an episode is she phones Rose to say there's some aliens here um, in a really nice matter-of-fact way. It's just like it's a casual phone call. But yeah. if you could just pop round, that'd be great. There's been an invasion. Yeah. Mm. Very unspecific address as well. Just come to uh, Jesse's yeah. mum's house in Norwich, you know. Yeah. Then they're just strolling out the front door. Yeah, it's a, it's a great introduction because they, uh, they've, they've already arrived um, ahead of time and they, they'd stroll in just at the right moment to... Uh, to uh, to answer Margie's um, query about well, why you phone and Rose, what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> yes, and they're straight into it. And uh, David Tennant is in high octane fueled form, fast paced, fast talking, very slick. Yeah, they they do sort of lean into. I think probably one of the differences with the old series and the new series is that, uh, particularly the Tenth Doctor and Rose, it's that slight smugness, isn't it, that they have. Mm, um, that yes. uh, you know we know what to do we can handle this you stay here um, I think the pretty the new series company particularly the ones who, who are in it for longer than one season um, so you kind of Rose, Amy, Clara they get very very self confident don't they about um, facing aliens and they absolutely do yes um, agents, uh, aliens yeah 
sometimes to the detriment of the character but uh yeah i think i think occasionally sort of to the detriment of the the threat that the aliens pose as well um well you never know whether it's going to backfire or not i mean like with uh what um clara finally did in face the raven Mm. i mean you just think yeah i'll just take the threat off i'll just take it onto myself and uh It'll all be fine, but of course it wasn't. It was a fatal mistake to think that she could do that. Yeah, they they took that to the extreme a little bit with Clara, didn't they? Or the logical extreme. Even the doctor was concerned, um, you know, about the way that she was getting quite reckless. Yes, yes, he was. So the uh, the aliens uh, land, um, and the the Zaros, as they uh, they appear and start telling everybody that they're the Zaros and. Uh, that was a nice mystery, actually, um, because I mean, we, although we had the pre-credit sequence, it didn't really give away too much. It was just an interesting idea, and then it yeah. launched into the title sequence, and um, then uh, nobody knows who they are. They don't exist, and that could be anything. Are they from a parallel universe, or what are they? Yeah, the, the Doctor doesn't know them. The TARDIS doesn't recognise them, um, but they look like sort of human. Humanoid warthogs is a description, mm. which again is yes. quite a Russell T Davies era thing, isn't it? To have animals that are humanoid. <laughs> yes, as John Featonbeast says, you know, I can't do the Welsh accent, but you know, let's just have a man with the head of a giraffe, you yeah. know, and things <laughs> like that, and that's this week's monster. And yeah, it is very, very Russell T Davies. Yeah, because you've got the the Jadoon and the cat people, uh, the, yes. uh, the sort of the pig slaves. The, the trichovores were like big flies. Yeah. And the um, fish-headed chappie in the sports car in Torchwood. Yeah. They just wrote the Sarah Jane Smith episode um, with the Shansheath, who were the vulture creatures as well, you know, the uh, death, death of the Doctor, I think it's called. Oh, yes, yeah. They were um, not the most effective monsters ever, but, I mean, we've, that episode features... Uh, Matt Smith, Katie Manning, <laughs> and Elizabeth Sladen. I mean, who's going to be distracted by a monster when you've got a cast like that? Yeah, that's it. And the voice of the Shansheath was actually David Bradley as well. So future okay. first doctor, yeah. So it was an all-star lineup, yeah. Mm, very definitely. Uh, so once the aliens arrive and they start kind of firing into the air and um, declaring themselves masters of the Earth, they suddenly uh, teleport away again only to reappear and do it all again, which is kind of a really odd moment. You don't uh, you don't get an explanation for for a little while. Yes, that's true. And uh, you sometimes think when you're listening to when you're listening to audio dramas, especially if you're just walking around and about and getting on with stuff. Sometimes your concentration does slip. You can't help it, especially when you're old like me. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, that's the first time I heard it. I did a bit of a double take on that one but of course that was because they were doing a second take just uh it wasn't a glitch it was take two yeah (laughs) um so the the doctor and rose have have gone to investigate meanwhile jackie and marge and jess have been taken prisoner by the zaros um jackie kind of gives them a bit of back chat um and jess does a little bit um, and there's a little bit of her sort of um, call back to Aliens of London when uh, the Doctor brings Rose back for the first time. She's been missing for a, a year. And uh, he says, you know, she finds out he's the Doctor and he says something like, stitch this, um, <laughs> and hits him. She does the same with the with the with um, some aliens here. That, uh, yep. she's, uh, well, she, she gets teleported up aboard another ship where there's some more aliens called the Harazi. Um, and they talk about they're going to give her a costume and do the stitching, so she gets to do the uh, the stitch kind of thing. <laughs> that was a nice little line, yeah. And at yeah. some point as well, she also gets to say, "Trust me on this," which was, of course, uh, her husband's catchphrase in his uh, alternative universe, where he's a successful seller of uh, energy drinks. Ah, I didn't pick up on that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, she says that obviously a callback. He must have said it even back then. Yeah, ah, that's that's clever. No, I didn't. I didn't pick up on that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> One of the, the other things I quite liked, again, it reminded me a little bit of the old series, is the Zaros have got quite a range of regional accents. There's, um, yes, there's they a co- do. There's one very Glaswegian one. Yes, there's somewhere, a there? Glaswegian one, there's a Cockney one. So they've all got the kind of the alien modulation on top of it. Um, mm. But yeah, quite clearly got the sort of uh, yeah regional British accents underneath. So it reminded me of the the Scouse Vervoid uh, in Terror of the Vervoid. <laughs> Because uh, they're quite strong accents as well. It's not just a hint, is it? Uh, <laughs> no, well, a lot of country, a lot of planets have a north. Yeah. So, <laughs> so maybe a lot of planets have a Scotland. It's quite possible. Yeah, that's it. Um, that was um, the um, oh, what's, what's the Suntaran called? Um, who? Uh, oh, Strax. That was his mm. uh, his favourite hangout was Glasgow, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Welsh Sontaran. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, meanwhile, the, the, the Doctor and Rose see that some of the human prisoners have been kind of decked out in um, army fatigues and they've been given guns and a tank uh, to, to start fighting against the Zaros, but they, the guns are all dummies and they're just firing blanks. So, uh, only, the, only the humans are taking casualties. Yes, that was... Um that's quite. That was quite a hard thing. That's the thing that uh, struck me more, I think, than most other aspects of the story. Which is a lot of it is very light. It's a romp, but people do die. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's still being played for laughs. Even um, so, at that point, the doctor comes over with the sonic screwdriver, um, disables the weapons, and uh, there's there's drones flying around everywhere, which he disables as well. Um, which have got the cameras in them. Yeah, so um, this is when he finds out that it's all been filmed for a um, kind of intergalactic reality TV show called Take Me to Your Leader. That's why they've, they've only invaded Norwich, because it's all kind of staged and scripted reality, I think they call it. Yes, that's right. So much like um, so many of the other series that are around these days. But, uh, yeah, yeah, loads of people I work with at the moment are watching this uh, Love Island which um, the, the little bit I've seen is, yeah, not my cup of tea at all. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I don't think we're the target audience, to no. be fair. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's not for me. I'd rather watch uh, the demons on Twitch any day. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, there's too much TV that I don't have time to watch that, that I would like in his quality rather than, and it, it's on for an hour every night. Um, I think I'm somebody that I would consider myself not somebody who suffers fools gladly um, anyway but kind of just giving them a platform to come into your home and, and watch for an hour every night that's um, it's taking it to I can level only of, imagine yeah. that it must be addictive in some way yeah yeah quite possibly I mean, yeah. I mean <laughs> you could be watching The Handmaid's Tale you could be watching Westworld you could be watching The Americans you could be watching A Very British Scandal and yeah. you're watching this. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, Have a word. <laughs> the, the, the clip of it that was going around on Twitter that I saw was um, all these people are sitting around and they're talking about Brexit, um, which half of them didn't know what it was. And then one of oh. them, one of them said, um, "Does that mean there won't be any more trees?" I just think. What? <laughs> oh, perhaps they're from Sheffield. Yeah. I understand they're cutting down all the trees in Sheffield. They're probably blaming the EU at ah, some level. Right. Is that the? I, I couldn't. I didn't know what the rationale was behind that. But, uh. No, I'm just surmising. You know, I can't see the connection either. I mean, yeah. in my line of work, we deal quite a lot with Brexit, and that's a new one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, honestly, no. There is a lot of good TV around. Um, yeah. Anybody who watches Buff Island, they are missing out. They are yeah. doing themselves a damage. Definitely. And apparently, I saw this the other day, it's not even on an island. Trade Descriptions Act. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I suppose that the reality TV aspect of it is um, kind of redolent of the Russell T. Davis era as well, because he is quite a big fan of, of reality TV. Um, and you get in, in series one, there's the, the uh, in the finale, there's the Black Wolf, uh, Black Wolf. 
Bad Wolf and Parting of the Ways, it's the reality TV station, isn't it? Satellite they, uh, Five, yes. Yeah. And so he, he ends up in the Big Brother house and then there's um, The Weakest Link and yeah. uh, Trini and Susanna. So, yeah. yeah. I'm not saying there's never been any good reality TV or scripted reality, but uh, yeah, the, yes. he is on, on on kind of record as saying that he believes it's it's some of the best drama you can see on TV. Um, I think he talks about the the first series of Big Brother where the guy was cheating and the rest of the um, contestants confronted him about it um, as being like you know quite a quite a dramatic scene sort of thing. Um, there's um, I think you've seen any of the Black Archive Doctor Who books. I haven't, no. I was reading um, the, there's one on Rose by John Arnold. Um, I was reading it actually last week uh, for the podcast I did on the novelization of Rose. Um, and this kind of reminded me, there's, um, John Arnold's got quite a good theory that the, the first series of, of Doctor Who, when it came back, is kind of, can, you can roughly map onto the kind of the format of the X Factor or something like that. So Rose kind of passing the audition stage in the first episode um, kind of, you know, making the cut as a companion by being brave and resourceful and everything like that. Uh, then the next few episodes is kind of the, the celebrity tutors like Charles Dickens and Cassandra and Harriet Jones. Um, you've got aspects where there's other potential candidates like Adam who, you know, kind of not quite making the grade. Um, and then the Father's Day episode is like she's on trial, like she's in the, the kind of the bottom of the, the voting kind of fighting to stay in the competition and then parting of the ways is like when she would win and she becomes this kind of godlike being when she absorbs the the time vortex so i thought that was an interesting take on it that uh russell t davis having looked at the most successful tv shows and the kind of the format of reality tv had, had adapted it you know in, in some way for uh for series one it certainly um there, it's a good analogy for her story arc in season one, very definitely. And um, to a certain extent, it's repeated a little bit with um, Martha, perhaps. Yeah. Was. Um, I mean, Martha, I mean, she, she also ends up as a superhero in her own way, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah, saving the, uh, walking the earth and, uh, and ultimately saving the world. Yes, absolutely. So um, it wasn't as dramatic, but... Uh, she did it in her own way. Yeah, she had a harder time of it, I think, didn't she? So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it made me think that the kind of the second series and in this story, it's like Rose's kind of having won and being a returning winner. She's like a coach now to Jess in this story because she's kind of a little bit like where Rose was before she met the Doctor, in that she's stuck in a rut. She's waiting for something to happen to change her life. Um, she's kind of a bit downtrodden by everybody um, a mom and her teachers and she talks about being bullied and things like that uh, she's quite a sympathetic character in this I think Jess isn't she? she is yeah she's um, I mean, she does get picked on very hard by her mother and I think uh, I'm not sure how true that seemed to be because I don't think I mean if your mother habitually did that to you maybe they wouldn't do it in company yeah maybe they'd rein it in a bit yeah, um, she's um, yeah. She did as soon as Jackie arrives, doesn't she? She starts talking mm. about how she's lazy and all the rest of it. Yeah. I mean, she's getting down on Rose as well, saying you should do that running away thing and yeah. your cashier daughter and things like that. Um, to, I'm amazed that she and um, that they're still mates. Fact, yeah. <laughs> practically, <laughs> if any of my friends had going at me like that I think I'd probably unfriend them on Facebook yeah definitely yeah you can tell they probably don't see each other that often mm. uh, probably just kind of kept in touch and uh, sent a Christmas card or something like that and then uh, yeah it's, uh, realize when they meet up how they've grown apart and how, how they've changed yeah. yes yeah the, it reminded me a little bit also of um there's some Mike Lee films and people have moved out of the East End and moved to Essex or something and suddenly their house is all very la da and they've gone up in the world. It reminded me a little bit of that, mm. you know, they're sort of denying your roots because you moved to this new, new supposedly possibly better neighbourhood and having a better life now. But, uh, yeah. 
yeah. it's still the same person it's just a facade that's it yeah because Marge is very much talking about her husband's job and um when when all the phones stop working but uh, uh Jack yeah Jackie still works because she can she can connect to Rose and she's saying well you can't have a better phone than me <laughs> yeah yes that was uh... yeah oh. a, a telling little moment yeah that's how you tell you've got the wrong friend. Yeah, yes. definitely. Uh, so, yeah, so the, the, when the Doctor finds out that it's just a TV show and that people have been killed for it, uh, he's, he's angry, uh, furious about it, which, again, was like the Bad Wolf thing in Series 1 when um, he finds out that it's all a TV show. But uh, Well, it seems at that point that people are dying, but it's actually worse. They're getting turned into Daleks, aren't they? <laughs> Yes, so, uh, yeah, he is furious and that it's been going on for season after season as well. Yeah, um, and the uh, the Zaros are actually a different alien race um, who are usually peaceful, but they've uh, they've been kind of given fake tusks and things so that they uh, so that they look more fearsome um, and uh, been made to invade these planets because they uh, like Jess want fame and fortune because they've always been sort of overlooked yeah so he calls because they, they specialise in pottery or something that's yeah. what the planet <laughs> is known for and uh, obviously that's not enough to sustain the interest so yeah. they've been given the chance to be the uh, invading aliens in this TV show it's very um, Russell T Davies writing for David Tennant I think as well the, the kind of the alliteration and things because there's the peaceful pottery people and that kind of thing and it's uh, is that those kind of lines that uh, mm. the tenth stuff yes. gets? Yeah, I, I think um, sounded like David Tennant very much enjoyed the dialogue. Yeah, and and the lines that he'd been given, and uh, and Billy Piper also. She she was running riot with some of the fabulous things, particularly when she was with the control panel and trying to figure out what button to press and things. Yeah. She was seemed to be having a ball with that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, kind of being in control and uh, getting one over on the. Um, the Herazzi, Herazzi, Herazzi. Yeah. So you were saying that the uh, the the voice effect on the uh, on the aliens reminded you of um, something else. Yes, that's right. It was it was bugging me for a while, and then I figured out what it was. So because the aliens have a slight distortion on their voice, and um, I realised it was when Ford Prefect is being turned into a penguin on board the Heart of Gold in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So uh, <laughs> that was a nice little, you know, when some one sound reminds you of another and it drives you mad for a while. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I know my hitchhikers. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's only so many, so much uh, of a, a scale you can modulate the voice on. So they uh, they do well, I suppose. Big finish to to make it all the aliens sound so distinct uh, when they're doing that kind of thing. Yeah, I would say that they do, and particularly when it's a new alien that's not something that they've got the TV to base it on, then uh, it must uh, it must tax the imagination. But yes, that was a simple effect, but it made it clear that uh, they might be humanoid, but they don't sound completely human. Yeah, and to differentiate them from the Zaros, who are much deeper as well. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so... The doctor kind of takes control at this point, and uh, he uh, he starts kind of encouraging the the human prisoners to escape. Um, they've all been um, sort of herded to a big park with a, a force field around it. Um, but the Zaros won't attack anybody or do anything unless the cameras are on. Um, so the uh, the that's kind of the humans fairly safe after that, isn't it? Um, yes. The, yeah, it is. The um, the drones are disabled, so the cameras aren't working, and um, Rose is working to turn off the force field so that everybody will just be able to escape after that. So it just becomes about the, the main characters then uh, defeating uh, the Zaros. The Doctor, Rose, Marge and Jess kind of end up aboard the mo- mothership and uh, kind of are running around. Uh, so Jess decides that uh, the way to... To proceed, because they're, they're talking about the, the series Take Me to Your Leader has been losing ratings and things. And Jess, being the reality TV expert, uh, decides the best way to help the ratings would be to, t- to make the show about the Zaros hunting them through the ship. 
which uh, the uh, the director quite likes, much to the chagrin of uh, of Jackie and everybody else. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they they kind of run around for a bit. There's an interesting conversation with um, Rose and Jess, where Jess kind of says she she doesn't really mind if she she gets killed because at least she'll be famous, and. She thinks that people who die young are, are well thought of at that point because there's uh, there's a lot of sympathy for them and everybody will yes. think fondly of it. So it's quite a quite a melancholic scene that you realise what a low ebb she's at. Yes, I mean it was completely right, and it's a very well observed thing also that people die young and their teachers remember them fondly and say that they would have had a bright future and. Uh, yeah, they, they don't have the chance to become uh, adults yeah. and make mistakes like everybody else. You know, they're remembered as being golden, even if they weren't perceived that way in life. And yes, it is tragic and poignant that someone would want that, you know, would rather have a good reputation and be dead than mm. try and face being alive, which isn't always as easy. But uh, Rose comes out with the doctor line or the doctor's philosophy of course that everybody is special yeah you know when the doctor says i've never met anybody who wasn't special yeah that's um some father's day i think isn't it uh, yes yeah yeah she's, she's very like the doctor in that scene isn't it you see how far she's come um because i suppose from a position somewhat like jess to uh, to where she is now um and yes the, the, the Zaros as well are in a similar sort of situation when uh, the Doctor talks to them. They talk about having been overlooked and not been taken seriously and that kind of thing. So this gives them, being the stars of this show, gives them some prestige and uh, uh, and fame and fortune sort of thing. Uh, I suppose get, kind of making uh, aliens more like us as well in that they, that they watch reality TV. Um, I suppose a bit like Vengeance on Varas. Uh, oh, yeah. Probably the only yeah. other time you really see people on another planet sitting down and watching TV. Um, no, there is another one, isn't there? Is it, um, is it the Armageddon Factor where it, it opens on a kind of a soap opera or a. TV yes, it does, like yeah. It's a propaganda soap opera to yeah. make people keep believing in the terrible war that yeah. they're fighting. That's it. Uh, and the Time Lords we know have TV as well, don't we, from The Deadly Assassin. They've got um, that guy that was at school with the Doctor who presents the uh, the political... Yes, uh, yeah. I remember his name now. Uh, so, yeah, I suppose even the Time Lords have got uh, <laughs> yes. TV show. Yes, there's his, uh, like, rolling news or live from the House of Commons kind of stuff. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, Runcible, that's yeah. his name, isn't it? Runcible. Mm. The, uh, the yeah. Yes, that's a very Lewis Carroll word, isn't it? Yeah. Like a or Edward Edward Lear, isn't it? Runcible spoons from the Owl and the Pussycat, I think. But, uh, I don't remember yes. that one. Well. I mean, aliens are always far too busy to watch TV and find that a little bit strange. Going back to Douglas Adams again, of course. So in um, Mostly Harmless, there are. A, bunch of aliens who've lost their memories and just landed on a planet they call Rupert and are watching British television, well, Earth television from a distance. Ah, right. I've, I've read all of those and I, um, I, it was so long ago I can't remember them that well. So that was the last one that he wrote, wasn't it? I think. It, it was, was, yeah. Completely his, yeah. Uh, yes, where well, you've got the two trillions and... Yeah. And Trillion and Arthur's daughter... Random frequent flyer dent. Yeah, she was in the, the, the most recent series that they, they did, um, Hexagonal Phase. Uh, she came back yes, yeah. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I thought it got better as it went on. Um, I did feel, I know I sound like, <laughs> sound like some of the uh, kind of really curmudgeonly Doctor Who fans, but as a casual listener, <laughs> I was a bit kind of lost with some of the continuity to begin with. They, they spent an awful lot of time, especially in the first episode, I felt kind of recapping everything that had happened. Um, but, uh, yeah, I did once, once I kind of got into the main story, I did like it, yeah. 
Well, I mean, Dirk Maggs, who does the Neil Gaiman um, dramatizations for the radio as well, he is excellent. I yeah. mean, uh, a lot of his stuff, his adaptations are really worth listening to, always very well produced and really, really add to the story and he attracts excellent casts as yeah. well to perform. So, I listened to Anansi Boys, that was, that was just on earlier this year, I think. Uh, that was excellent. Yeah, that was really enjoyable. Yeah. Listened to that a couple of times. And, um, of course, The Neverwhere that they did a few years back as well. That was really brilliant. And Good Omens too, um, oh, which is, they're making a TV series of that now with David Tennant. Yeah, I haven't heard um, Good Omens too. I, I love the book of Good Omens. Mm. Um, yeah, it's David Tennant and Michael Sheen, isn't it? Yes, it is, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be a tour de force. Yeah. Um, it's going to be on BBC as well, whereas... Because uh, the other one is American Gods, um, that they made a TV show of from Neil Gaiman. Yeah. It's on Amazon Prime, which I don't have. No, I can't get that here either. So um, I've managed to catch a few episodes. Don't ask me how. But <laughs> um, <laughs> they become a little bit too difficult to find sometimes. You can't see everything that you want to see. Yeah. Yeah. And as you say, it's time, isn't it? Yes, that too. There are a lot of brilliant series. Although, while my other half is away this week, and so I'm having a binge rewatch of Stranger Things seasons one and two, and I'm enjoying that very much. I haven't got around to watching that yet either. That, that's on my list. Uh, I do want to watch that. And I haven't seen the last series of Black Mirror yet. Um, this, um, the new series of Lost in Space is supposed to be quite good. It's on Netflix as well, so I need to watch that at some point. I'm not sure if I'm going to go for that. I've never seen the original series. Um, and yet, despite that, for some reason, I decided many years ago, when they had the film of it, I think Gary Oldman was in it. Yeah, Gary Oldman and William Hurt, Matt, Matt LeBlanc, yeah. Went to see it, thought, didn't, uh, it is the only movie that I have ever turned to the person I was with and said, really not getting this at all just got up and walked out that is the only time in my life it just held zero interest yeah. for me <laughs> so obviously i'm not too enthused by the idea of watching the tv series no but no <laughs> if it gets rave reviews then uh, i'll be happy to be proved wrong yeah i think the good thing about netflix series is that they um they don't they seem to give them a chance um like a lot, a lot of American stuff gets cancelled after one series, just as you're getting into it. Netflix do seem to, uh, you know, give them give them a bit of chance to find their feet and learn from the mistakes and uh, carry on to to get better. So there's there's less of that risk that you'll start watching something and then next thing you've you've heard it's been axed. Yes, although that can happen, of course. And but uh, the series that you know, if I bothered to watch a first season. <laughs> I don't have much tolerance for stuff that isn't that good. No, you know, so. no. Um, so uh, back to Infamy of the Zaros. So the, the resolution hinges on the Doctor realising that there have been 10 series of Take Me to Your Leader, but the Zaros only think that they're on the third series. So the Doctor does a bit of research on the ship, finds a computer terminal and discovers that there have been seven other series, but the, the race of invaders is constantly being replaced and being killed by their replacements in the in the sort of the uh, the first series of each one. Yes, so, and that uh, is brutal. Yeah, yeah, it's more a lot more brutal than the uh, the doctors being replaced, isn't it? It's, uh, <laughs> to to keep the show it, going. Yeah, it definitely is. Presuming presumably um, the individuals they have characters and people get attached to them, and then they all get wiped out, and complete the entire cast is replaced. Yeah, you know. I mean, it's like uh, the original Survivors. You know, there was a massive mid-season cull of a lot of the characters between <laughs> season one and season two of that, you know. Ah, that's right. quite brutal enough. I've never seen the original 70s Survivors. Have you not? No. Oh. Um, this is what happens when I talk to John and Lawrence as well from the Highlanders podcast. I haven't seen all the stuff I'm supposed to have watched, like Blake Seven. I've never seen either. <laughs> you have never seen Blake Seven? I haven't, no. Oh, Mark, what are we going to do with you? <laughs> if, it, if it's repeated, maybe Twitch will put it on next and I'll, I'll watch it. 
<laughs> oh, that would be actually. I think that would work really well yeah. uh, based on um, their reaction to Doctor Who. I mean, bit of seventies Blake Seven. Yeah, so. maybe they'll be ratcheting around for other old, um, old uh, BBC sci-fi properties. So maybe I'll get an airing next. Yeah, that would be good. I hope that happens. And I hope you get to see Blake Seven yeah. sometime because <laughs> I think it would be right up your alley. Well, I see a lot on Twitter. Obviously, there's a lot of crossover with Doctor Who and Blake Seven fans, so it, it does always look quite interesting and fun. Um, it's because you're too young, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't. I, um, I wasn't around when it went out. I don't think so. Um, yeah, I've never. I think. I it, think I was about nine or ten years old when it started, and uh, I mean, I always watched anything science fiction, so I was. I was aware that it was more adult than Doctor Who, and uh, but you got interested in the characters and uh, how things are going. And of course, the spaceship was like the greatest spaceship I'd ever seen. Yeah. You know, I actually rate Liberator over the Millennium Falcon. Don't kill me. But <laughs> yes. Cool. No, I will. I will see it one day. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it? You almost wish being laid up with two broken legs for. a couple of months or something like that just so you've got time to see all these things but yeah that's it I, I could definitely clear out my backlog then yeah <laughs> mm, but breaking a limb is overrated trust me on this one yeah no absolutely <laughs> wouldn't be worth <laughs> it um so yeah that's um infamy of the zaros uh the uh the zaros turn on the on the harazzi and uh the Doctor and Rose kind of get away in the uh, to uh, fight another day in the TARDIS. Um, it's quite a nice little ending as well, where because um, the uh, one of the things they have had to do is off is offer the Doctor um, kind of fame and fortune, but he they give him want to give him his own show basically. Yeah, but he he eschews fame and fortune. He says, oh, "I don't I don't need any of that." And then he says, um, "Who'd want to watch a TV show about me anyway?" <laughs> <laughs> Kind of and there's a nice, nice little scene between um, Rose and her mum as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because the, um, because she gets to go up in a spaceship and she gets to see the Earth from space and she's blown away by it and she says, "Oh, this is what Rose sees. This is what it's like for Rose all the time." And and she understands how planet Earth isn't enough for her. Yeah. She asks Rose. Will you come back one day, you know? And Rose says that, yes, she will one day, but not yet. And yeah. But they have a nice hug. Yeah, that does change from series one to series two, doesn't it? Where um, Jackie becomes that bit more understanding about what she wants, you know, what I want him to travel with the Doctor and, uh, and everything else. So, yeah, it was a, it was a nice scene. It made, made sense in the context of the arc. Um, and then... Uh, because they are all reunited in the end in a parallel Earth. Yes, they are. So, but uh, no, overall, I think it's um, it's a really great so It really captures series two, uh, really the essence of it, um, and probably a good one to put out on vinyl because it's it's one that um, it's, it's a lot kind of probably broader and lighter than a lot of big finish output. So it would appeal to the uh, the, the kind of the more mainstream audience, which um, was probably at its peak during this time with um, with David Tennant and Billy Piper. I would say so. Yes, absolutely. It's um, it doesn't rely on any previous knowledge at all, really, apart from uh, having seen a little bit of that's that era of the Doctor. You don't need to know anything about aliens or story arc or anything. It's a good standalone story. Yeah. And the aliens aren't, aren't too alien, are they? They've um, they've got kind of the same uh, wants and desires as uh, as the humans, really. Yes, it's a it's a lovely little story. I enjoyed it very much, and uh, it was interesting to hear the characters again. Yeah, yeah, that's the beauty of big finish, isn't it? The uh, mm. the, the nostalgia. Uh, you yes, you, you mainly go for the Peter Davison. Big finish stories. Yes, um, I thought because I was very late to Big Finish, as I may have said before. But uh, so I'm um, starting with 
Peter Davison and working my way out, I've listened to some Collins and some Sylvester's and some of the Tom Baker. But uh, I'm focusing on um, the Peter Davison ones. And I particularly enjoy, there's some very, very strong stories where it's him and Nyssa, mm-hmm. like Spare Parts, um, Creatures of Beauty, Winter yeah. for the Adept, that kind of thing. They're very, very strong stories and quite complicated and obviously doing things that I think sometimes even the series today would struggle to do with regards to effects. Yeah, definitely. There's one in that run, I can't remember which one it is, where it's very out of sequence. Um, You sort of put the first disc in and think you'd have accidentally put the second one in. I can't remember which one it is. Is that Creatures of Beauty? Because it it starts, it just starts with um, Nyssa screaming in a and there's somebody trying to hurt themselves and yeah i think it is that one and yeah it's again you'd probably struggle with it on tv but it works brilliantly on there it's all out of sequence but you you kind of quickly adapt to it and and get what they go where they're going with it yeah yeah i mean i do enjoy that story very much i think that's one that stands multiple listenings i think because of that complexity because of the job the jumbled timeline on yeah. it it's a, it's a very then, interesting idea indeed and peter davison with, with one companion as well he works very well he's not an opportunity you got that often on on tv obviously but um he's uh, uh, it's he's it's the same um, as when they have um, multiple companions it's the same issue as they have with the tv show of course they have to split people off into groups and separate them so they can have their own storyline and do their own thing and come back later yeah. it'll be interesting to see what happens with series 11 in that regard with the uh, the three companions aboard the TARDIS again yeah that is going to be interesting and they're quite disparate in terms of age group and things like that as well so uh, um, so speaking of, of series 2 what are your sort of memories of this series or highlights and that kind of thing um, well, I mean, it is a really, really strong series, and I think my memory was just being so incredibly happy that Doctor Who is back and it's surviving, and it's strong, and people want to be in it. You know, wonderful guest guest appearances, and it knew where it was going. And uh, well, I mean, it was a thing of joy, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> really, I mean, season one had been fantastic with Christopher Eccleston and then you've got uh, David Tennant absolutely grasping it yeah yeah it's brilliant I think for me School Reunion is my favourite because of the nostalgia and everything with it I think it's a, it's a good story as well yeah I, I mean that. I'm looking at my uh, my DVDs and yeah. uh, yes there's one with a canine on it yeah <laughs> How cool is that? You know, um, Sarah Jane meets the Doctor again after all that time. Yeah. yeah. Was... The only thing I didn't like about it was that it sort of ignores the five Doctors, which is a story that I love. But, um, yeah, the, the way that it's told and the, uh, the, the particularly the moment where Sarah Jane sees the TARDIS and then the Doctor's behind her and she realises that's, that's a great moment. Mm. Um, and it's yes. quite emotional when K9 blows up as well remember the first time I watched it having quite a lump in my throat um, you know when he sort of um, stays behind to blow up the vat of crulatine oil um, yeah and uh, yeah that's uh, the first time I watched it I was like no but uh, <laughs> he um, he does what he's done before and, and has another K9 waiting for her Yes, I mean, um, it is a really, really good season. And I think the strong, well, it's two stories for me, is the rise of the Cybermen and the Age of Steel. Ah, right. I mean, what a fantastic pair of stories they are. I mean... I Yeah, I, I would put them lower down in my sort of rankings for the series. Um, I'm not sure. I think... Part of it, I didn't really like the performance of, um, I can't remember the actor's name, who plays John Lumick. Uh, Roger Lloyd Pack. Yeah. I think he's very odd. He, he seems to think he's playing a robot before he's um, 
before he's been sort of turned into a cyberman or anything? Well, I mean, to be, I suppose you must lose some of your humanity before you can do what he did. Yeah. Possibly. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I love the alternative Earth with the airships. Yeah. All the all the little details, the, the ear pods, the, um, the way everybody stopped and listened to a joke in their ear pods, which uh, we never got to see what the joke was, though, did we? No. <laughs> yeah, I think the, um, the parallel universe part of it is, is very good. And you've got the two Mickeys, haven't you? Or Mickey and mm-hmm. Ricky. Mickey and Ricky, yes. Yeah. That side of it. I think for me, probably my two favourites are School Reunions, I say, and um, The Girl in the Fireplace. I, again, that's a really interesting idea as well. Yeah. Um, and the beautiful clockwork aliens. Mm. And it's quite a, a story, it's quite an idea that um, Stephen Moffat will come back to as well, isn't it, of um, meeting somebody when they're a kid. Uh, the doctor meeting somebody when they're a kid. Mm. Um, so the same thing happened with sort of Amy. Um, even after he met Clara, he went back and saw her as a little girl. And it was quite time traveller's wife, isn't it? Of uh, yes, yeah. Uh, that that idea of um, influencing somebody when they're a kid. I suppose like Kazran as well in um, the uh, the Christmas Carol, uh, influencing somebody when they're a kid, so that you know, as a, and then seeing the results when they're an adult. So like in Amy's case. Mm. Um, was obsessed with the Doctor but, but had been convinced that he was imaginary uh, yeah I mean that, that was one of the most beautiful things about Amy I think yeah um, and then I suppose the other two part as well the, the Impossible Planet and the Satan Pit um, I, uh, I really enjoy those as well yeah um, that fun. is a great story I mean we get to see the Ood for the first time and yeah. um the whole idea of slavery and then the beautiful relationship between the Doctor and Rose when they realise that they could actually be stranded in this place. They yeah. could maybe not be able to get back because they've lost the TARDIS, you know. Yeah. And talking the, about mortgages and things, you know. Yeah, and she's, um, yeah, she's sort of quietly pleased, isn't she, about the prospect? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, whereas the doctor sort of thinking he's lost his home, he's lost his TARDIS. Yeah. Um, so um, the Love and Monsters is the sort of divisive one, isn't it? From uh, from series two, I, I yeah. actually really like it, but I know that there's uh, there's not a lot of love for it. Um, it's not an unproblematic, is it? That story. I mean, I think <laughs> it's it was a great idea that they had with that and Blink, where you know, you take the Doctor and their companion away from it. So mm. you can have a story, and um, it probably has something to do with the filming schedules as well. It gives them possibly a little bit of breathing space. Yeah, I think it's something uh, to do with having the Christmas special that they would have, yeah, the, the Doctor Light episodes uh, in those ones. Yeah. Um, but yes, I mean, obviously Pete K has his detractors, and um, the, the fate of that poor lass... I mean, that's uh, not much of a life, is it? No. <laughs> At the end of the story. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, I think that, yeah, it's, I think it was supposed to be a joke that maybe, yeah. <laughs> mm. I mean, there's one line that sticks in my head from that story. We yeah. still have a bit of a love life. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> How does that work then? Mm, I wonder. I can only see one real possible yeah. option there. <laughs> Oh dear, yes. I mean, it's interesting idea. Wasn't it um, the Absorbaloff was a, a monster designed in a Blue Peter competition or something? Or yeah, I did I just so. dream that? No, I think that's right. I'm not sure. It was, yeah, it probably was Blue Peter. It was definitely a sort of a design, the monster competition. Because uh, I remember watching the Doctor Who Confidential afterwards and Russell T Davis was saying that um, they, they, they brought the, the kid who designed it um, along on the day to meet Peter Kay in the costume and the kid was really disappointed he said oh, he's supposed to be the size of a bus <laughs> oh dear but he hadn't written that anywhere on his design so they'd assumed that well if he uh, carried on absorbing random people one day he would have been yeah that's it yeah uh,
<laughs> no, I'm, I'm a big Peter Kay fan, and uh, yeah, I, I enjoy his performance in that. Um, probably Fear Her is the, is the other one from that series, which is uh, less well regarded as well, and less celebrated, isn't it? So. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, I don't think it's as bad as people say it is, and that's not just because it's got a ginger cat in it and I'm a bit of a cat person. <laughs> I suppose it seems weird because, obviously, it came out, it was performed before the 2012 Olympics, and yet the opening ceremony for the 2012 Olympics is part of the story. So the fact yeah. that it was looking to the future and then, but it was, you know, now we're, 2012 is firmly in the past and seems a another age away in these post-Brexit days. Mm. uh, um, So maybe that creates a few problems for the series. But, I mean, I didn't think the the young girl was badly played, which some people say. I think think her performance was good. And it was an interesting idea. It goes back to things like Paper House, if you... Or Marianne Dreams, as it was known. No, I'm not familiar with that. Um, well, it's a children's book. A girl is ill and she's confined to her bed for a long period of time and she draws a house and she draws rooms inside the house and then she goes there in her dreams. So what she draws comes to life in a way. Uh, and it becomes quite dark and scary because she has an argument with this boy who lives in the house and she draws scary things to frighten him and then she tries to rub them out and they won't erase and they become real and they become a real enemy that they have to fight together it's a very interesting idea yeah um, i think my sort of thoughts i remember when it came out were thinking that it's it's got quite a lot of similarities to the idiot's lantern i thought when we're only getting kind of 13 episodes in a series they are you know, fairly sort of similar where in the Island it was people's faces being taken away in fear, mm. people are disappearing when they get drawn. Um, they've got that kind of frightening father figure and that kind of thing, domestic setting. Um, although there's obviously differences, I remember thinking it's they are a bit too similar. Yes, um, that can happen. Um, but uh, I think the setting's so so very different I mean yeah. domestic early 1950s London and then yeah yeah to me they've, they've got such a different feel and atmosphere to them that I hadn't really thought that they were that similar but, uh, I don't I don't think it's one that actually fear her that I've gone back to since it was broadcast so I, I probably should give it another go uh, I mean I, I try to watch when I'm having one of my um one of my runs at Doctor Who, I do watch all of them, mm-hmm. love them or hate them, even though sometimes I take a deep breath, you know, sometimes I go and watch something else before going to a story that I don't like so much. But yeah. um, where I am at the moment is um, I watched the TV movie a while back and I am having a break before I go into the new season again. Uh, I don't know why, it's just, um, I really, really enjoyed the Sylvester McCoys this time around, so much more than I've enjoyed them before, yeah. and I know I know he's your doctor, so yeah. I, I was looking forward to telling you that, that yeah. I really, really, <laughs> really have appreciated Sylvester so much more, and tell you what else is interesting, um, my other half, I mean, he's he's a bit older than me, and Patrick Troughton was his doctor. Mm. And he never really got over Patrick Troughton not being the Doctor anymore. And I think, so he stopped watching when he was quite a young lad, when he was about eight years old or something. And yet, you know, he he really, he enjoyed Sylvester McCoy as well. He hadn't really watched him so much before, but he watched several of the stories. And I think the Troughton-esque aspect of, uh, of his performance, I think that appealed to him a lot more. Yeah, I remember that at the time or in or not long afterwards in the wilderness years, people talking about the similarities. Um, I think it's overtaken now. People talk about Matt Smith being in a similar vein, don't they, to Patrick Troughton more so? Um, mm, possibly. But, uh, I think he's got... 
he's got aspects of all of the doctors I think he did it so well for such a young actor yeah. I mean he to have showed the gravitas and the age of the doctor in such a young form mm. I think that was what stayed with me for Maximus who I think is probably my favorite of the new doctors yeah but uh, yes I really really enjoyed Sylvester McCoy Ah, good. This time around. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have a rewatch, I think, because I was um, realising that it's 30 years this year since I started watching Doctor Who and became a fan. Um, so I was going to uh, go back and uh, rewatch season 25 at least, or season 25 and 26, because I think, uh, yeah, those two seasons, I love all the stories. Um, even the ones that people don't like, like Silver Nemesis. I absolutely love every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Silver Nemesis has some really interesting moments to it. Yeah, it does this sort of time travel things, which um, you know hasn't haven't really been done before. And the modern series does um, that kind of you know, especially Stephen Moffat's stories where they zip about in time. Um, it's, it's quite ahead of its time in that sense, I think. You know, they travel back to um, the uh, to Lady Painsworth's house not long after she left and everything. Yes, yeah, and they have a good look around and. Uh... It's, um, yes, I think the, the old series, of course, it was predicated on the TARDIS not working properly and not taking them where they yeah. were supposed to go. And I miss that sometimes. I think that was such a wonderful premise for just starting the adventures rather than the Doctor in the role of um, this is your guided tour of the universe. Yeah. I've shown, I've shown you the future. I'm going to show you the past. Who would you like to meet? I mean, it never used to work out like that. No, no, it'd be interesting if they went back to that, if he somehow, um, or she somehow loses control of the TARDIS. Mm, or has to reinstall the randomizer. Yeah, um, so yeah, it becomes much more difficult to, uh, I think now there's um, there's this emphasis on the companions having their home life as well, isn't there, where mm. Amy and Rory and Clara get to go home and uh, have jobs and lives and relationships. Um, and sort of travel with the Doctor kind of on and off a bit kind of in the spare time. Yeah, that's um, interesting in a way. it's uh, Before it was always an orphan or somebody with nothing else to lose or somebody who was trying to get home, but obviously it's a time machine so they can just be gone for 20 minutes even if they're 10 years older when they come back. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the Doctor's taking a little bit more responsibility for that now yeah. mainly because he can I suppose because the TARDIS works properly at last but that's it so yeah season two was a very very strong season for me and uh, that the Do Doctor Who became so popular and there was everything in the shops yeah. <laughs> you could buy sonic screwdrivers and everything even even in boots you know you could yeah. go, in for, go in for some shampoo and come out with a remote controlled Dalek I mean yeah, it went crazy, didn't it? There was Dalek yeah. in the bath and, uh, yeah, all kinds of stuff. You could go yes. to pretty much any shop and there'd be, uh, there'd be Doctor Who stuff. Mm. Yeah. So thank you, Russell T. Davis, for yeah. getting the show to come back and making it such an amazing success. And uh, long may your writing continue because a very British scandal was absolutely brilliant piece of writing yeah and I've only watched the first one of those yet so I'm looking forward to watching the, the, the second two but really yeah really enjoyed the first one yes I mean uh, Hugh Grant almost unrecognisable yeah yeah interesting that because um, I, I saw Russell T Davis on the one show I think the week before um, that, that new series came out and he was talking about how he'd offered Hugh Grant the role of the Doctor series one um, and he's basically such a fan of Hugh Grant's acting that he's basically offered him everything he's ever written. He's always sent him a script. <laughs> um, and this is the first time he's, he's taken one. Um, but yeah, hopefully Russell T. Davis, uh, as a sideline, will continue to adapt his Doctor Who stories for Target books as well. Um, did you pick up any of the new Target novelizations? I haven't, no. Um, I mean, I'm... I haven't seen them because they're, Doctor Who isn't a thing in Norway, sadly, yeah. and that's where I am most of the time. Mm. But um, 
Are they pitched to adults or are they like the target novelizations of our childhood were? Are they 125 pages for a 10-year-old to read in a day? Or I'd say any, anyone can read them, I think. Um, there's, uh, the Rose one is the one that I read most recently that did the podcast with uh, Ruth last week. Um, there's lots of nice little nuggets for fans of the old series in there. Um yeah, I guess it's it's like the show that Russell T. Davies wrote. It's it's I'd say it's for the family. So there's um there's something in there for everybody. Okay. Yeah. So it's sort of like a Harry Potter kind of a level. Yeah, it's um and you can you can still read them in one sitting. They're probably slightly mm. longer, I guess, than the old Target books. Um at least some of them. The Day of the Doctor's the longest one. Um but you can you comfortably read it in one go. Um, all right so run yourself a bath and there you go yeah Yeah, and they add a lot of depth as well to then background to the stories which is uh really enjoyable yeah i recommend i've got got very fond memories of reading my target books when i was uh, well from the ages about 10 to 16 i guess i read pretty much all of the ones that existed at that time still got them somewhere and uh yes they were brilliant to, to go to and uh, to this day I'm still a little bit disappointed that some of the lines in the novels aren't in the TV show yeah. <laughs> when you finally get to <laughs> get to see them because either it was changed or it just didn't happen you know um, one of my very favourite Doctor Who lines never actually made it into the show but uh, it's in the book and I always remember it the first law of crisis is only to panic about one thing at a time yeah <laughs> <laughs> Which but one? I think uh, Tom Baker decided not to say that on the day, so it never happened. Which one's that one from? Um, I'm not sure which story it's from, but it was in the novelisation, and then I yeah. think when he actually says the line, it's, do you mind if we just do one thing at a time? Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> it's just... But I've actually got that printed out and on my wall in my office. <laughs> It's a great line, that isn't it? It's be, uh, yeah, it's the sort of thing you would see on a plaque or a T-shirt. Yeah, mm, it, it is the, one of the defining aspects of my job that I only can panic about one thing yeah. at a time. <laughs> Otherwise, it'll go horribly wrong. So, thank you very much for joining me today, Denise. Been a pleasure discussing this story with you. Thank you for inviting me. It's a really interesting story. And um, we'll have you back on soon. I hope so. Uh, where can we find you on the internet? Um, I am mainly on Twitter as uh, at cup of tea sixty nine. You can try and look for me other places, yeah. but that's mainly where I live. Okay, <laughs> that's great. I thank you very much for listening at home. Uh, join me next week for another Trap One podcast. Bye. Bye. Bye.